Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. Pro teams have millions to spend, and they don't always spend them wisely. But when it comes to a great shave, you don't have to shell out tons of cash. Harry's saw customers getting ripped off by the shaving industry with overpriced, underperforming products, and decided to do something better. They found their own way to make beautifully designed razors for a fraction of the price of the other big brands, so you never wonder if you overpaid. Harry's shaving products look great, and the weighted handle makes shaving feel great too. I like to keep my beard neat, and Harry's always leaves me with a smooth yet crisp shave. Harry's quality is top-notch, thanks to German-engineered blades made in their own factory that stay sharp longer. You can get a five-blade razor, weighted handle, foaming shave gel, and a travel cover for just three bucks at harrys.com slash bluewire. And Harry's has the highest customer satisfaction in the shaving industry, plus a convenient subscription option that you can cancel at any time. Getting the best doesn't mean spending the most when you shave with Harry's. Get started with a $13 trial set for just $3 at harrys.com slash bluewire. That's harrys.com slash bluewire for a $3 trial set. Got in a little fender bender on my way home last night. Oh, no. 100% not my fault, and everyone is totally fine. Get those oh. uh, get, get those uh, two headlines out of the way first. That's good. But, uh, big dent in my door and my, uh, like, over the wheel well, kind of. And But, like, you know, the main thing is, like... Now I got to deal with all this crap. It got me home an extra 40 minutes late because we were waiting for the cop to show up and take all the information. And then, you know, I have to call insurance and I'm going to have to bring my car in and have a loaner. And it's uh, incredibly first world uh, problems attitude toward it all. But I just I hate the inconvenience of having my car wrecked. Yeah, you know, this the whole thing about this, you know, oh, first world problems. But I mean, like the fact of the matter is, like, if, if you lived in the third world, you have your own problems. You know, mm-hmm. and like the first, so we have problems in the first world too. You know what uh-huh. I'm saying? Like right. it, our problems aren't any less important. Just, you know, they're, they're just different. Do I, do people in the third world say, ah, third world problems. Is that, a, is that a common saying there? Do you think? I probably not, but you know, I, I'll tell you, you, you know, what's interesting. There's very little, uh, clinical depression among people like without a lot of things. Cause they have like legitimate, honest to goodness things to worry about. Right. Like where their next meal is coming from. Like you don't have time, like to, you know, to luxuriate in like the problems of the world. You know what I mean? It's almost like you're kind of saying that that uh, you wish you had third world problems and that uh, first world problems are actually tougher and uh, that everyone everyone's got it wrong. Well, I'm not <laughs> sure what I'm saying, but generally speaking, you know, like depression and anxiety, you know, goes up with income. It seems. I, yeah, I, I could see that to up to up to a point uh, where once you reach the point where I guess you have so much money that you can stop worrying about anything financial. Although, you know, there, the, your life can still be highly unsatisfying and feel empty and uh, asking yourself all sorts of meaning of life questions, certainly. But I think you know, I have a name. <laughs> gamble on, fellas, gamble on. <laughs> Welcome again to Gamble On, the weekly gambling podcast presented by usbets.com. I'm Eric Raskin, US Bets Managing Editor and Media Director, and I'm joined by my co-host, US Bets Senior Analyst Jeff Edelstein, this week on the show. 
Poker has a new world champion and a new Hall of Famer. Bally's had better hope its iCasino doesn't hurt the Rhode Island lottery. And the NCAA is busting better so fast it would make the NFL's head spin. Plus, we won a three-unit bet last week. So will we get reckless and start betting three units on everything? I wouldn't put it past us. And we will also be welcoming Rob King Coakley to talk about his deep run at the World Series of Poker's main event. We're going to talk some best ball, and we're going to be talking about ghosts. So, you know, yikes. Uh, But first, (laughs) as always, plenty of news to discuss. Here's your Gamble On News of the Week, an inside look at the biggest stories in the world of gambling. Before we bring on the guy who finished 138th at the WSOP, let's kick off our news segment by talking about the guy who finished first, Daniel Weinman of Atlanta, a 35-year-old poker pro who previously had about $3.7 million in career tournament winnings, including an Omaha bracelet in 2022 and two WPT titles in 2017, added $12.1 million and his second bracelet by winning the main event on Monday. The end came quickly. There were three players to start the final day of play, all of them deep stacked, but it took less than three hours for Weinman to eliminate both Adam Walton and Stephen Jones. Probably the most memorable hand of the tournament for Weinman came with 14 players left when he was all-in pre-flop with pocket jacks against both pocket queens and pocket kings and hit a jack on the turn. As always, you need a little luck to win a poker tournament, especially one with over 10,000 players. Uh, One other WSOP note, this year's inductee of the Poker Hall of Fame is six-time bracelet winner Brian Rast, highly respected player, but barely 40 years old, while Poker Stars founder Issei Scheinberg, who's in his mid-70s, continues to wait to make the leap from nominee to inductee. Uh, Jeff, I'm not sure if you caught any of the hands or highlights on social media the last few days, but... Any thoughts on the WSOP as it wraps up for the year? And let's get you on record. Would you rather be lucky or good? Uh, 100% lucky. Uh, 100%. I'm not sure where I read it or heard it, but like it was about like Warren Buffett, right? Like the most successful investor ever, right? Best investor in the world. Mm-hmm. So, but, and, and like, the, as it, you know, let's say there's 10 million people who buy a stock and another 10 million people who short a stock, right? So 10 million of these people will be right, right? Half of them will be right. Right. Do it again, do it again, to 5 million, 2.5 million, 1.25, and so on and so on and so on. Eventually, someone will be left standing, and they will be considered, like, the best stock picker ever. Mm-hmm. But as anyone who's ever, like, invested in stocks or played poker or did anything, you know, obviously luck plays a role here. You're not, you can't, you're not right 100% of the time because you're good. You end up being right 100% of the time because you're lucky. Right. If you happen to be right 100% of the time. So, yeah, I mean, yeah, luck over skill all day long, right? I mean, yeah, a, definitely. No, be, being good is overrated. Uh, if 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 you are legitimately consistently lucky, you are guaranteed a great life. Uh, yeah. And, and, and that whole you make your own luck saying definitely coined by some lucky prick who was trying to convince the world he'd had a hand in his success. Well, I mean, a little bit, but I think, you know, I think it's more like if you're, you know, you got to put yourself, you know, you got to be in it to win it kind of thing. You know what I sure. mean? Like, the, you know, the more chances, you know, I had a friend in high school. Like, I was like the worst with girls, like in high school and college. Mm-hmm. I was horrible. I was just like, but a buddy <laughs> you, of mine. You've been good with girls once in your life. I, yes. A great, great, great success. Right. Uh, it has been a great success. But yeah, I was like really not good at it. But a buddy of mine, he was dynamite at it. He was a good looking guy. Don't get me wrong. But he, everywhere he 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 consistently put it out there, you right. know. He was maybe batting like you know point oh fifty, you know what I mean. Right. But like when you do it twenty times a week, you're that's once a week. He's doing yep. great, you know right. what I mean. Yeah. So exactly. yeah, you know you got to put your, so you create your own luck in that regard. But also so. let me let's get back to the World Series for a second. Yeah. Ready for a big prediction? <laughs> okay. I expect that this you know, record. I read your article. I, the record setting number of entries. It's mm-hmm. got tailwind. I'm calling it now. Over twelve thousand entries next year. Write it Ooh, down. All right, that's a that is a bold call. I think I when I for the article that you know I talked to a couple people. One of them was was Donnie Peters, uh, who's a veteran journalist, and I asked him to make a prediction for next year. It didn't end up making the article, but I was expecting that maybe he'd go bold with like eleven thousand. And and in fact, though, he actually said it's he thinks it'll break the record, but barely. I think he said like ten thousand one hundred twenty or something like that. That it'll level off a bit. But Jeff Edelstein on record with twelve k, huh? Yeah, I think it's going to get a little bit bigger. I think I could, I you know I've heard I've heard too many uh anecd- I think in our interview today, but I've heard too many anecdotal things of like home games where mm-hmm. you're playing for this. Right. I think that's going to catch on. 
Yes. Yes. No, you know, no, like, no spoilers for the interview, but uh, but yeah, right. there are a lot of ways to to get in. And I, I definitely think there's a lot of the one of the things cited in the article uh, from from talking to people was just sort of the post pandemic YOLO attitude of, you know, I've been thinking about playing this thing for 10 years. I was stuck indoors for a year, watched people die, and life is only so long, and damn it, I'm playing the World Series of Poker Man yeah, now. Th- yeah, and also, but the, I've never seen, the other thing, though, is that I never heard of this, like, I'll say this, there's no way in hell I'm going to Atlantic City to play in a satellite for the World Series of Poker. Like, it's too intimidating to me, like, I'm not doing it, right? right. But if, you know, if I see a flyer for, like, you know, the local firehouse, you know, mm. we're running, a, a, you know, $300 each. We're going to raise some money for the firehouse and, you know, with a chance to win a ticket, I'll do it. Right. You know, what I, you follow what I'm saying? Like, yeah. that's not intimidating yeah. to me. Okay. Yeah, I, I can see that. And that's that's actually been going on. I, I remember hearing in the early days of the World Series that there were some people who they, they would play their home game all year long. And at the end of the, the year somebody through some sort of system was was getting a ticket in the world series or whatever so so that is i've it's not new but i think i'm hearing about it now is what i'm saying right and for me to be hearing about it that it's because i'm not i'm not i don't follow poker so the fact that i'm hearing about it, the fact that i'm anecdotally hearing about it means that it's you know there's some tailwind here yeah i think i think the pandemic again like a let a lot of people to sort of rediscover online poker, but B just like let a people a lot of people to get their home poker games going again and get yep, back into yep. it all over again. So yep. yeah, twelve twelve k is possible, I suppose. I'm 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 going to take the under, but I like the boldness odds. of the prediction. Get me odds, get me odds on it. We'll all right, I'll I'll, I'll talk to I'll talk to some experts and see what the, where they think the uh, the number would be on twelve k. All, right. all, right, um, all right. Did you end up watching that hand with the pocket jacks? Uh, I did. Where he sucked no, out? I, I didn't know. Yeah. All right. Well, it was it was for anyone who listening who who's seen it. It was just kind of interesting because there was a guy with kings open raises, and this is with fourteen players left in the in the whole tournament. Right. Uh, guy picks up kings and raises. Guy on the button has queens and re raises, and then uh, Weinman in one of the blinds is sitting there with with pocket jacks, and it just was one of those hands where. You, there's so much of a chance that either of your opponents are, are trying to make a move with a hand that isn't that great. So, so it totally made sense for him to just shove all in over the top with jacks and then get incredibly unlucky to find out he'd been dealt the third best hand, but then insanely lucky to spike a jack on the turn. And uh, I, when I when I saw that hand posted on Twitter shortly after it happened, I was like, wow, it'd be crazy if this guy won the tournament after staving off elimination in this way and then uh, sure enough goes on to win the tournament yep uh, better to be lucky than good as they there say. it is yep. um <laughs> to, to quickly just uh wrap up with the, the that hall of fame topic that i introduced i don't know if uh, isay scheinberg is is going to get into the hall of fame while he's alive or even posthumously um but it just kind of irked me more this year that you know brian rast great as he is He's not like a Phil Ivey or a Daniel Negreanu type who like absolutely needed to get in the first year or two after becoming eligible by turning 40. Um, you know, for Scheinberg to be in his mid 70s and another year ticks by. There's this school of thought that the Poker Hall of Fame should be split into two categories, players and builders or some such term. Um, and I've heard like it suggested like you should put a player in every year, but maybe every third year you also put in a builder. I, I would endorse that. That would solve this problem. But I'm just thinking of like Moneymaker got in his first year of eligibility because of his impact on the growth of the game, not because of his greatness at the poker table. And Moneymaker never happens without Scheinberg and poker stars. So to me, it's it's getting silly to have Scheinberg keep getting passed over. So uh, just putting that out there, I'm not sure. Sounds like a column. Yes, yep, could could be a column maybe next year uh, when the list of nominees come out. We'll table it till then. All right. All right, we've uh, we've talked here and there in recent weeks about Rhode Island legalizing online casino, and now we're going to dig in again because a new detail has been uncovered in the law the state passed. The bill states that if Rhode Island lottery revenue declines, Bally's, the lone online casino operator in the state, is on the hook to make it up to the lottery, up to 1 million in annual revenue decrease. Bally's has to make up the shortfall entirely, and from $1 million to $2 million, Bally's has to cover 50% of the remaining shortfall. So it's possible Bally's will owe the lottery as much as $1.5 million at the end of the year. Chances are the company's online casino revenue in the state will far exceed that. You know, yeah, it's a small state, but they will have an iCasino monopoly, and some iCasinos in other states do 
tens of millions in revenue every month. Anyway, it's a first-of-its-kind law to protect the lottery, and it sets an unusual precedent. Jeff, you spoke to some insiders and wrote about this the other day. So what are your thoughts on the law and on whether other states may attempt anything similar? Yeah, I spoke with Becca Guide and Jeff Ifra. They both had their eyebrows uh, metaphorically up on this one. Um, so will this be attempted in other states? I mean, they don't think exactly this. They said Rhode Island's a little bit of a special case where the lottery controls like all the gambling. So like the, the, the cannibalization concerns were, were there. Plus it's an I lottery state. So, you know, they don't think anything this drastic was going to happen in other states. But they did note uh similar but different like protectionist language maybe part of many if not most gambling bills going forward mm -hmm. you know meant to protect jobs meant to protect land-based casino operations you know things along those lines um so uh, becca specifically she really thinks that she, we're gonna be seeing a lot more of that kind of language um you know protectionist language basically in, in bills going forward yeah i i could see that i, I mean so when we first sort of like heard about this idea of what was going on in Rhode Island, I was I was kind of appalled by the idea before I knew the details and the way that it's capped at one and a half million dollars annually. And so once I read your article and, and learned that detail, it's kind of like, eh, Bally's will be fine. Their, their online casino in Rhode Island will still be plenty profitable. And if agreeing to this was what it took to get iCasino passed and, you know, to have a monopoly in the state, then you know, totally worth it for them. Um, but yeah, the sort of those further reaching implications, what we may see in other states, I wonder if this can actually create a pathway toward more iCasino legalization, basically find a way for any of the various parties that oppose it to share in the profits just a bit, and then they won't oppose it anymore. Um, you know, whereas taxing sports betting too high, can cause problems for operators, so, you know, who can have an occasional losing month or have to tend to spend a ton of money on promos and marketing and all that. I casino, you can you tax don't lose. It. You yeah. can right, you can tax it pretty high because exactly the operators aren't going to lose. They're they'll still feel comfortable that they'll make money. So it, it's possible this stuff in Rhode Island with Bally's having to cover the lottery shortfall will actually prove a good thing in terms of prompting other states to come up with some creative ideas, make some concessions here and there, and get iCasino legalized. Does that, does that qualify as a hot take to say that this may be uh, good for iCasino legalization? What we're it is. Doing? No, yeah. Well, I mean, it is, I think that does qualify as a hot right. take. Uh, okay. But it's an interesting point, right? Where, right, if you if you the, you bring in the people against it and say, here's a, you know, here's a taste. Right. Okay, it's hard to be against something when you're getting paid. You know? Right. We're kind of we're kind of mafiaizing the whole thing. You, you you get your taste when you throw in that word taste. I can't help but think of the think of the mob. But uh, but yeah, you know, the mob and uh, legitimate businesses are only so far apart, really. Yeah, I mean, I've long held the belief. I, you know, as a New Jersey resident, you know, <laughs> yes. I, I I've long held the belief that I'd much rather have a mobster as governor and like let him let him take his taste off the top. I think we I think we'd have a much more well-run state if we if the criminals actually ran it instead of like these fake lawyer criminals running it. Uh you out hot take to me, Jeff. <laughs> Pro teams have millions to spend and they don't always spend them wisely. But when it comes to a great shave, you don't have to shell out tons of cash. Harry's saw customers getting ripped off by the shaving industry with overpriced, underperforming products and decided to do something better. They found their own way to make beautifully designed razors for a fraction of the price of the other big brands, so you never wonder if you overpaid. Harry's shaving products look great, and the weighted handle makes shaving feel great too. I like to keep my beard neat, and Harry's always leaves me with a smooth yet crisp shave. Harry's quality is top-notch, thanks to German-engineered blades made in their own factory that stay sharp longer. You can get a five-blade razor, weighted handle, foaming shave gel, and a travel cover for just three bucks at harrys.com slash bluewire. And Harry's has the highest customer satisfaction in the shaving industry, plus a convenient subscription option that you can cancel at any time. Getting the best doesn't mean spending the most when you shave with Harry's. Get started with a $13 trial set for just $3 at harrys.com slash bluewire. That's harrys.com slash bluewire for a $3 trial set. 
All right. Uh, our third story here. You know, it wouldn't be a news week in the gambling world in 2023 without something related to athletes violating wagering rules. And this week, the focus is on the NCAA. The AP reported that NCAA President Charlie Baker sent a letter to Nevada Representative Dina Titus that revealed that there have been 175 infractions of the NCAA's sports betting policies in the last five years, and there are 17 active investigations, but that less than one quarter of 1% of NCAA sports events end up getting flagged for suspicious betting. On the one hand, 175 infractions sounds like a lot. On the other hand, Baker was basically trying to say in the letter that the issues are small in number and the NCAA is on top of this stuff. What's your reaction, Jeff? Is it more, eh, only 175? Or, geez, 175? Uh, and, and how important do you think it is that all the sports leagues provide this sort of transparency about infractions and investigations? I mean, it's 175 that they've uncovered, you know, and their own mm -hmm. reporting from pre-PASPA days shows like one in four male athletes bet on sports. So, I mean, just stop it already, NCAA. <laughs> you know, you got to change these. You got to change the rule about like letting these kids bet. Right. I mean, you're just because they're just going to break the rule. Um, I don't know. I, it's Let's wait and see how important these are, how big they are. You know, again, I, 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 I'm not, I, I can't get my you know, panties in a bunch over a couple of guys betting a few bucks on some sport that they're not part of, you know, tell me that, you know, some, you know, offensive lineman was betting against his own team. Okay. Now he right. got my attention. You know what I mean? Right. As far as the transparency, I mean, yeah, I don't know. I mean, again, like if, if, you can't keep like a big story out. You can't like, you know, if, a, if the quarterback for, you know, state U is throwing games, it's, it's not exactly going to go unreported. You know, so we'll find out, obviously. You know, I don't know. But if, as of now, if they're just investigating, you know, innocent until proven guilty, I don't, I don't need to know about it. Yeah, it's there's it's sort of like there's some transparency for transparency's sake going on here, I guess, and like trying to appear transparent. I mean, the so uh, Titus's comment after receiving the letter, this was uh, quoted in the AP story, she said, this kind of transparency is crucial for the integrity of the game and success of legal sports betting. Now that we have answers from the NCAA, I need to hear from professional sports leagues about their efforts to protect players and the public from illegal activities. Um, so, you know, now that we have answers from the NCAA, obviously you're sort of shining a spotlight on we're not really getting the whole picture here um but but also that all these numbers what the numbers we're seeing and the actual numbers of people betting are inflated by the fact that the rules are making something that probably should be totally fine not totally fine um but i i do think this is an opportunity for good pr for sports betting if it's spun properly as long as we can avoid the sort of whoa, 175 violations headlines that, that make that sound like a lot. Um, but, you know, like if, say, the NBA comes forward and says, since 2018, there have been 8,000 NBA games, 12 were flagged as suspicious, they were investigated, we found no evidence of players betting on NBA games, etc. Basically paint a picture that people can infer of a contrast between the regulated sports betting era and the Tim Donahue era. It could be great for the public image of the sports betting industry. You know, again, it, it depends on the framing. Um, not that not that these NCAA headlines took off and caused a stir, but you know that 175 number. It's 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 a challenge to frame that correctly, uh, especially if there are people out there like you who realize 175 that they know about mean could mean. You know, I had two zeros. Or, right. I was going to. So, yeah, that put us at 17,500. Right. That's probably about right. If it's just like literally any college athlete who's doing any sports betting, which right. NCAA frowns upon. Right. So come on. Enough. Stop it. It's time to welcome a special guest from the world of gambling. Let's get to the Gamble On interview. Jeff's true gambling love is fantasy. My true gambling love is poker. And this week, we welcome a guest who has one foot on either side of that line. Rob Coakley is a fantasy expert. He's part of the Spike Week team. And he also spent much of the past couple of weeks in Vegas competing in the World Series of Poker main event, where he made it all the way to day six and finished in 138th place out of 10,043 entries. So we are excited to welcome now 
the 138th best poker player in the world, Rob Coakley. Rob, congrats on that deep run and welcome to Gamble On. Thanks. You almost nailed the intro for me. I am the 138th best poker player and the 74th best best ball player on the planet. So, oh, okay. You you were this close though. This close. <laughs> <laughs> so you clearly consider yourself superior at best ball the, to to poker based on world rankings, at least. Based on my final in 2021, yes. And okay. That's all we go off of. Last year doesn't count. <laughs> all right. <laughs> um. So so Jeff will handle the fantasy portion of this conversation, but I'll I'll start by peppering you with questions about six days of playing in the main event. Um. First, just a, a quick factual question: Was this your first time playing the main event? Yeah, I've played a couple of the other WSOP events throughout the years, um, but this was my first time going and playing the main event. I won my seed into it, so that was the way I was able to go out there and play it this year. And uh, even though I played those other events at the World Series of Poker, nothing really gets you ready for the main event. How how did you uh, win your seat? Was it a, a live satellite, an online satellite? So about there's like a local commu- poker community here and like southeastern massachusetts and 26 other people and myself got together years ago and we created this poker league where we played 12 times a year once a month essentially give or take some months but there was a point system and i had finished like second and third in it so many damn times <laughs> and hadn't actually won it and then i finally won it last year so i got to go play the main event for that Okay, gotcha. Um, so give me your absolute best story from those six days of play, the, the, the one you'll be telling at cocktail parties the rest of your life. What what hand or moment or interaction or emotion stands out most? It's actually crazy because at the end of day one, I was my day one, day one C, mm-hmm. I was 13th in chips out of like the entire day. <laughs> But I have no like crazy big hand to tell you from that day. The biggest two hands were I had ace, king of spades in position, raised, got three callers, flopped the nuts, just flopped the absolute world and just had a guy leading into me the entire time. And then, you know, took control of the hand and won a decent sized pot. But it's not like I busted him or anything like that in that hand. I won another hand with ace, queen versus kings, but the guy was short stacked. It was just I had the perfect first four days of the main event. I I ran my stack up with no crazy spots. I was never at risk in the tournament until day five. Mm. Um, it, it just, it was, if you could draw it up the first four days, I think most people would draw it up that way. I mean, you'd want to be number one in chips overall and stuff, but like in terms of playing your first main event and 12, 13 hour grueling days and not being at risk, I, I'll probably never do that again. Do you feel like it was that that you were playing like your A plus game that you were really dialed in or were you just playing pretty well and kind of the circumstances kept falling your way? I think I had some really good table draws, especially in the beginning. Um, I, I can kind of gauge where I sit at the table skill wise generally. Mm-hmm. And I'll be honest, like usually I'm in the top half of the table on the local tournaments and stuff like that. And I felt that way my first few days. I will say day five, that was not the case. I understood that I was bottom three at the table. I was playing with some really, really good players that day. But just understanding how people play and stuff like that. I don't play as much as I used to. And I definitely made mistakes throughout this tournament. Um, There's one that just like eats at me. And I've talked to a few people about the hand. It's actually not even that big of a consequential hand, but just the ramifications of what it could have been kind of stand out to me but yeah it it was more just like a a slow grind the way that you would want to go through the main event i had a crazy hand happen at my table after the money burst that i wasn't a part of though (laughs) if you want to hear about that yeah yeah absolutely so the money had just burst we have a guy open he was relatively loose we had a new guy who had just moved to the table he three bets him and the craziest guy at the table four bets and then the original Razor five bet shoves. The next guy, you know, comes over the top and shoves. And then the final guy calls. It was aces versus kings versus kings. Mm, um, wow. <laughs> and aces obviously held in that spot. And it was just a massive pot. And then our table broke. So, <laughs> <it was interesting. laughs> but yeah, that's what happened on that hand. 
And what was and what was the play that you sort of regret that you could have done could have had a maybe a huge pot if you'd done something differently? So I had raised um, I think I was on the hijack with King Ten of Spades and this was day five. So this is the day that I was I was definitely outmatched skill wise, but at least I knew it. So I kind of turned my game into like a Phil Hellmuth type game. I just kind of tightened up quite a bit and I was playing more ABC and I was kind of trying to set up timing tells and stuff for them to think that I was always strong just to try to set up a play later. And I raised King 10 of spades from position, the button called and the big blind was Ryan. I think his name's Ryan Tosco, who was probably the best player I've ever played with in like ever. And he calls from the big blind and the board came four, four, 10 with two diamonds and he checked. And I bet, which might've been a mistake to be honest, the button flats and Ryan rips out a huge three bet. That would have been for 40% of my stack at the time. And I sat there and I thought about it and I know he's repping the four and I'm just like, I got action behind though is action behind ACE four. Like, is he flatting ACE four from the button? And I ended up folding the hand and the button folds quickly. And I was just like, shit, I think maybe I should have ripped in this spot. And then I started talking to a couple other people that I really respect their game and stuff. And actually think that they think I should have flatted that spot and then ripped turn on non diamonds. So Hmm. again, not a huge hand because I, I raise pre I do, I do see bet the flop and then I just fold, but it is literally the hand that has stuck with me the entire time. And I assume you you didn't get to talk to Ryan afterwards to find out what he had to know whether you made the right uh, decision folding. I did not talk to him after we that was day five. And I think all of us were just so tired (laughs) at that point because you're playing the money day. Day four was like a 13 and a half hour day because Mm -hmm. of the bubble play. And it was the of all my experiences in life, I've had some great ones. This was amazing, but one of the most mentally draining things I've ever done in my life. Yeah, I I believe it. (laughs) So so the old the old saying among poker pros always used to be that the worst day of the year is the day when you get knocked out of the World Series main event. And maybe that was more true when the fields were just a couple hundred and there were hardly any other tournaments to play all year. But still, I'm I'm curious, how true is that for you? How how tough is the elimination when you go that deep and how much you left wondering about what could have been? Well, it, it was bittersweet for sure. So, I mean, I lost a hand early with Jack's first queen 10, got three outered like and lost like half my stack. And I ended up shoving a seven of clubs against someone that opened. He had opened like 30 percent of hands at that point. And so I was just ripping the a seven over from the I believe I was from the small blind in that spot, mm-hmm. hoping to get a fold. He called with nines and rip. You know, we were just done for the day and. And it's sad. It is sad. It sucks. And you go and you do all the payout stuff. But uh, it was bittersweet. I still I went way further than I would have ever expected to go in that tournament, especially not playing as much as I used to play for sure. So it was it was bittersweet, but validating. I ran the gamut of emotions. <laughs> and just for uh, for a fun story, as I was leaving the casino, I wanted to do something brainless. So I Went over, I'm like, I'm just going to sit at a slot machine because I only have to press a button. I don't have to think about anything. <laughs> I hit for $1,300 on the way back to the hotel. Nice. Went, got ready, decided to treat myself to a good dinner, went over to Caesars, sat at one more before I went to Caesars, hit for another $1,300. <laughs> Guy next to me got up screaming and swearing, and then I went and had great dinner and went to bed. Wow. <laughs> so, I, so I believe your profit on the main event was... 57.5 right you cash 67.5 so minus the the 10 although you as you said you sort of uh, satellited in in a sense or whatever so you, so you got all that now i know you you want another 2600 or so on slots yeah. um any any big plans uh for for the winnings or does it mostly all just go uh, into your gambling bankroll so i paid off a few things just to get that out of the way um but yeah it's probably going to go into some of it's going to go into best ball but i have no huge plans i don't need anything 
Like it, it's just one of those situations where the one thing I bought was this Brian Dawkins helmet next to me. <laughs> it was nice. like my dream helmet and ended up just smashing that and grabbing that immediately. But <laughs> yeah, it, it's, that's the only thing that I really bought that I wanted. Other than that, it's going to be probably best ball entries. Wow. That is the perfect segue then to uh, set Jeff up to start asking you questions about his, uh, his gambling passion. Well, before I ask any questions, I just want to note that while you may be the 74th best best ball player based on 2021, I was the 151st, I believe nine from the nine from the bottom, whatever whatever nine from the bottom was. (laughs) It's actually impressive. That it was rough. I remember, man. I had Ramondre Stevenson, and he scored like five minutes into the first game. I'm like, here we go. I'm gonna win. Uh, this is it. I'm gonna be the best ball champion. And I, I wasn't, unfortunately. <laughs> I also but, had Ramondre Stevenson in that final, and I also thought I was the best <laughs> ball mania champion. Alas, then, here we are. <laughs> and then I wasn't. Right. <laughs> I, I, I had two. He scored two touchdowns that day. Those were the only, yeah. literally, the only two touchdowns my team scored. Yeah, you know, outside of quarterbacks, it was just it was rough, but it was you know nice to be there. Uh, um, <laughs> <laughs> so you are you know you obviously in addition to the 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 gambling end of best ball, you also are uh, in charge of media marketing for Spike Week, right? Yeah, I am uh, the head of media and marketing for Spike Week. I'm on camera. I do all the editing for the videos. I produce shows for Roto Grinders. I edit all their videos. Well, not all of them, but some right. of them. And yeah, so so where, my I mean, toes on the water here. So and obviously, you know, DFS has been a thing for you for years. But best ball, like it's just I feel like it's kind of to me, it's exploded over the last few years. But I still feel like there's so much more room for it to grow. For instance, I'm, you know, my hometown fantasy football league, which I've been in. 35 odd years it's ridiculous how long i'm really the only one who does it like eh, we heard of it that you know like i just feel like there's so much more room because it's fun it's easy it's relatively inexpensive you know like five dollar drafts you know i'm those puppies i'm you know all day long what do you see like you know you're 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 neck deep in it like what do you see for the future of best ball do you see it continuing to grow or do you think it's something that's just gonna you know not <laughs> grow you know like have we reached the zenith or do you think that there's still a lot more runway. There is so much more room for growth in best ball based on just conversations I've had with other people. Nine out of 10 people still don't know what best ball is. Those of us that are in it know it. Like we know it deep. You can see all the growth that's happening for it. But even going to the World Series of Poker and talking to poker grinders, because there's always a correlation between poker, DFS, you know, sports stuff. A lot of people didn't know what best ball was when they asked me like at the table. I'm like, yeah, I do stuff for Roto Grinders. I do a lot of the best ball stuff. And they're like, what the hell's best ball? Mm. I'm like, oh, boy, (laughs) wait till you you get into this because you're going to be you're going to be knee deep in it. But you can just see it by the tournaments that underdog releases. You know, they're constantly evolving. They're they're a great company that's finding new tournaments. Do they all appeal to me? No. But just because they don't appeal to me doesn't mean that they don't appeal to other people. I was knee deep in all the puppies last year. I'm fading puppies this year, personally. Mm. Um, That's just my personal stance. I'm more into some of the higher stakes stuff for for myself. And I'd rather fire like a a $200 bullet than, you know, a ton of puppies. DraftKings, if you want to really see where the evolution of best ball is going, look at DraftKings. They're putting... They're putting time into best ball this year. Yeah. They've updated their best ball product. They're coming out with really, really good contests. I think their three entry max contests are the best contests that are out there right now. Like pay wise, they're real flat. Everything's great. So I think there's a ton of room for growth and I wouldn't be shocked. It'll take a while, but don't be shocked if it starts overtaking home league stuff, like yeah. as opposed to, because of the simplicity people like simplicity now and if you don't have to set a lineup great you know it's interesting you said that you're fading the puppies i find like obviously you're not going to like win a fortune with the puppies and you're competing against you know tens of thousands hundreds of thousands of people i just find them for the five dollar cost like it's that's worth the price of the admission for me you know i I get to practice my draft see what you see what other people are doing and it's 45 minutes of entertainment i mean for five bucks i mean that's yeah, it's a it's winning a great is just a bonus. You it's know? a great entry point. If you haven't done best ball, these are great entry point tournaments. Yeah. These are you should be doing these. And to your point, if you want to try out, because I think one problem, and we could get real deep into this that best ball players have, is they get too comfortable with the way they're drafting. 
and they just start doing the same thing over and over again, same, yep. same core concepts, same players. Like if you want to mix it up, like a lot of people, like I do a lot of, um, not a lot. I I've mixed in double elite quarterback builds just to kind of see what I want to do with them. Right. And if you're not comfortable doing that, hop in a puppy, be like, all right, right my game plan for this one is I want to see what I can build with a double elite quarterback. Yep. I want to take yep. Jalen hurts. I want to take Joe Burrow. I want to see what kind of rosters I can build up with that. Let me do it in the puppy. Is it going to correlate one-to-one with a higher stakes tournament? Not always, but it's going to give you a rough outline of what you can do. What you just, what you said earlier also about getting comfortable. Like I I'm high on the chargers like everybody else. Right. And so mm-hmm. like, I've been taking, you know, Eckler sometimes round one, I've been taking Keenan Allen a little bit earlier, taking Mike Williams a little bit earlier. As a result, you know, by this time, Judy's, I can't get Jerry Judy. So I looked the other day, I have like 50% Cortland Sutland somehow. Yeah. Well, I know exactly how, you know, because yeah, you I know exactly you know, how. Yeah. You know, it's, it's, but it's, it's much it's, more than I want. You know? It's a comfort click. Right. It, it just becomes, it's like, well, here's my bring back. And you're not even thinking sometimes because I've done the same thing with Cortland Sutton. It's like, well, maybe I should just be taking Dolchich some. And I just, yep. and he, I have a blind spot to Dolchich. Yes. So, so you, you're doing the right thing though, looking at your exposures and like, because I, I'm on one end of the spectrum where like, I want to be overweight heavily on certain players and teams and stuff. Cortland Sutton's not one of them. No, he's, he's not one of them. <laughs> so <laughs> managing your exposures is huge. Like just going through and double checking that stuff and being like, okay, I need to pump the brakes here. Yeah. You can start grabbing some wide receivers that I'm not grabbing in this range. And then I'll grab Dolchich as my bring back or, yep. you know, maybe even Tim Patrick or something like that. The- Speaking as the voice of the, uh, the best ball amateur, uh, Jeff, is, is it that uh, the chargers play the Broncos in week 17? Is that what they I'm do. inferring from that? Yeah. Okay. All right. Yeah. 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 And then, I mean, honestly, and obviously week 17 counts, but man, so does week 16 and week 15, you know, and like, you know, trying to look at the the matchups there and try to, you know, I've tried to do that. I've tried to thread that needle. Like what one game sticks out, like the Lions play the Cowboys in week 17 and the Lions play the Vikings in week 16. Yeah. So, I mean, like trying to build around those three teams, you know, it's it's a challenge. That's why. So yeah, the puppies is I do do a lot of practice in the puppies. All right, I, this you're you're right. I could go on for the next twelve hours about this. So I'm <laughs> well, going to stop. But for to the point that you just made about week 15, 16, 17, I'll just throw this out there. A quick little plug. That's the great thing about the spike week tools. Yep. If you have that overlay up while you're drafting, it shows you the week 15, 16, 17 matchups. And if it and if the player matches up on any of those weeks, it lights up green or whatever color you choose. So now you know, like oh. If I take Chris, uh, Chris Olave is a first rounder, but if I take Rashid Shahid here, you know, in the 14th round, I have his week 15 and 17 opponents. So it does a playoff matchup for me. And maybe that's a tiebreaker for you. It doesn't mean you have to go out of your way to do it, but it's like if you're picking between him and another player, there's your there's your tiebreaker. I got three kids when I call to make a doctor's appointment. They say, "What's the birth date?" I it takes me like two seconds, like to like get them all straight in my head, like which kids which. Yeah. When you ask me, you know, who the Lions are playing week sixteen, it takes a lot less time. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, hell, I've I've been doing shanties for week seventeen, so you know, <laughs> it is yeah. Best ball is taking over a good chunk of my life. Um. Yeah. All right, let we've talked a lot about. We, we all need a hobby, right? And mm-hmm. uh, you are also the host of a podcast called Hometown Ghost Stories, completely not sports betting or gambling related. Yeah, And it seems like you, you go on site to a lot of this stuff. Yeah? Yeah, we, um, we try to do on site investigation episodes like every two, two and a half months or so. So we've gotten to go to a lot of cool places. It's It's really nice to do that show because it is the juxtaposition of our fantasy stuff is like time sensitive, right? I do a show. I'm doing a show with Rich Rebar tonight, right? One of the smartest guys in football, right? In a week, that show's probably going to be dead right. in the water, right? So no pun intended, but the, the ghost show is it, it's evergreen for the most part. Like every, you know, ghost or ghost, like everything <laughs> we talk about happened a hundred plus years ago. So it's, it's historical. We, we cover one town per Per week and we get to learn a lot about that town it's not just the ghost stories and that's what i try to tell people like right it's you're learning about the town and the history of that place not just the ghost stories and yeah it's going have you really well. have you ever personally witnessed anything like fucked up <laughs> uh yeah we've had quite a few different things happen so 
the reason we got into this whole thing was my grandparents' house here in Bridgewater, Massachusetts. And if you know paranormal stuff, there's the Bridgewater Triangle is a big thing. Um, their house was terrifying. So I'll tell you two quick stories on what happened there. When I was eight years old, my little brother was two, doesn't know what a ghost is. He's upstairs by himself. I'm downstairs with my mother and we hear him start crying. And he's like a hellion child. So we just assumed he got into something. He hurt himself. This is also the middle of the day, by the way. Uh, we run upstairs to check on him to make sure he's fine. He's got his back like pressed into the wall in the hallway. And he's just pointing and he's as white as a ghost going, the man, mummy, the man, the man, mummy, the man, the man, mummy, the man. And come to find out a bunch of stuff had happened in this house to my grandparents since they had bought it in 1968. I did some research on the house. I found out the guy who built the house, uh, he went out searching for a cow that got loose because it used to be a farm and he never came back. He went missing and they never found his body. I found that in the local newspaper. Wow. So he went missing. And then when my grandfather got sick, this house was so old, it was only heated by a wood stove. He had to go live with my aunt, with my gram, and somebody needed to be in the house to keep the wood stove going. And I got nominated, unfortunately, to live in that house for two years. <laughs> and I came home at 1 a.m. one time, and I had put all my stuff on the first floor because I hated the second floor. <laughs> and I walk into the house at 1 a.m., completely sober go into the bathroom to brush my teeth, get ready for bed. And I hear a conversation happening. Not a big deal because I leave <laughs> my bedroom TV on. Walk out of the bathroom, head into the into the bedroom, look the TVs off, and the conversation stops as soon as I look at the TV. Oh, man. I stand there for three seconds and a man's voice yells from the top of the stairs like three or four words. And I still get goosebumps to this day talking about it. It just was one of the scariest experiences of my life. Yikes, that is bananas. You know, what's crazy, though, the experience that your your brother had, the, the man, mommy, the man, I had that similar experience when I looked at my Cortland Sutton exposure. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it probably was Cortland Sutton, to be honest. <laughs> I don't know what's more terror. What's more terrifying, ghosts or having being over invested in Cortland Sutton? It's uh, I, uh, yeah, having twenty seven percent Javante Williams last year after he blew out his ACL was no, pretty no, scary. No, <laughs> but but the ghost stuff is going really really well. The podcast got way more popular than we anticipated it to be. We're on Chris Jericho's podcast all the time now oh, wow. for oh, it. Nice. And, That's great. Uh, we just filmed the TV pilot, so it's wow, going, awesome. Like, well, hometown, hometown ghost stories on anywhere you listen to the podcast, right? Exactly. Hometown ghost go. stories. Love it. All right. Excellent. And uh, other other plugs for you here before we let you go. Uh, everyone can follow you on Twitter at King Coakley. And uh, any anything else uh, we should uh, squeeze in for where people can find you uh, on the interwebs? Nope, you can watch, if you're into best ball, check me out on Spike Week. And you just plugged hometown ghost stories. But that's pretty much everywhere. Awesome. This has been a great conversation. Congratulations again on the World Series score. And uh, yeah, great talking to you. Thanks for coming on the pod, Rob. Thanks for having me, guys. I appreciate it. Two men. Two men. $10,000. Will they run it up or blow it all? It's time to check in on the Gamble On bankroll. Let's update our betting bankroll, and we got off to a shaky start last week, but then things turned around nicely for us, and we were rewarded for betting big. Uh, it started with my money line bet on the Phillies as slight underdog to the Padres Friday. Uh, that one failed. Uh, the Phillies took three or four in the series, but they lost the one game I bet, so that cost us $100. But then your big one, uh, boy, we almost took a nasty beat on your three-unit, $330 bet on Otani over six and a half Ks. He came out after five innings with that finger bothering him again, but thankfully he had made it to seven strikeouts in five innings. Obviously, if his finger isn't an issue, he pitches another inning or two and probably finishes with eight to ten strikeouts and we win comfortably. Thankfully, all we needed was seven. We got it. Good bet. We win $300. And then you'll recall that I was going to bet $75 to win $150 on Frank Martin by decision at plus 200 odds, but you talked me into an even $100 to win $200, and it paid off. Uh, we had a great sweat. Martin was behind through nine rounds, then came on strong, took over, scored a knockdown with a minute to go in round 12 to make it almost impossible for him not to get the decision. 
But now I had to pray for his opponent, Hartunian, not to get KO'd. Uh, it all worked out. Martin won a unanimous decision. We won $200. So overall for the week, we won $400. We're now down by 2613 We also have 1797 on hold in futures bets, and that leaves us with 5590 available to bet with this week. And I'm up first. And I listened to a golf podcast this week, and it inspired me to make some British Open bets, or I'm sorry, the Open Championship bets. Um, of course, uh, it teed off at like 1.30 a.m. our time Thursday, so I had to lock these in over email with you on Wednesday, Jeff, which means in some cases I can already start to see how some of them are doing, um, but uh, no backing out or doubling down. Bets and amounts were locked in. I have five bets here. Uh, two of them on a player to win, uh, one on one of the favorites. John Rahm was as high as plus 1300 on DraftKings, 25 bucks to win 325 on him, and one long shot to win. People are saying Max Homa has a chance here and that he was- Very over- good people. I hear very good people are saying this. Yeah. <laughs> are you saying it? Very good people. Okay. Uh, well, he, I, one podcast said he was at plus 6,000 and that was an overprice. And then I found him at plus 7,000 at points bet. So uh, let's follow those very good people and sprinkle 10 bucks on him to win 700. Uh, then I have a couple of top 10 bets. Uh, someone was touting Tony Finau to win. I know enough about golf to know Tony Finau never wins. But uh, top 10, he's plus 480 at FanDuel, so $30 to win 144 top 10. Uh, And I also liked the price on Taylor Gooch for top 10, saw him as high as plus 600 on FanDuel. As we record this, he has already finished his first round and is at plus two, so uh, not looking good. Probably we can kiss goodbye to that $25 to win $150. And last bet here, someone made a convincing case for Matthew Southgate to miss the cut at minus 125 at BetMGM. So I'm doing 75 to win 60 on that. And uh, naturally, Southgate was uh, minus one through through nine before we started recording. So uh, we're off to a great start here, Jeff. Uh, <laughs> if we end up losing money on these, I may have to retire from trusting golf experts on podcasts. Yeah, golf is tricky, man. I, I, it, I've, I have not had a good success rate betting or playing DFS in golf, but it has not stopped me from <laughs> no, continuing to throw money at it. Um, right. All right. For me, it's stupid parlay time. Okay. Uh, eight, seven, six, five. Scott Strider, Spencer Strider, not mm-hmm. Scott Strider, Spencer Strider, over eight and a half Ks. Tyler Glass now over seven and a half Ks. Blake Snell over six and a half Ks. And uh, Abbott on the Reds over five and a half Ks. Uh, plus 981. You want to just make it plus 1,000 for purposes? <laughs> $30.50 to win 300. <laughs> No, we have to use the real odds. All right, so, so plus nine eighty one. Thirty dollars and fifty eight cents then to to win three hundred bucks. Well, we we I I don't use a cents when totaling the bag. Well, that's what so, I'm saying. So oh, I see. I see what you're saying. All right, but if it's but it basically rounds up to thirty one dollars to win. What did you say? Three hundred. You know, to plus the yeah. You know, well, three thirty. Right. You know, three thirty. You know, yeah. Okay. Well, it's to, I'm winning three. <laughs> I'm, I'm betting thirty. I'm oh. winning back the whole. Would I get it all? Thirty dollars. Thirty dollars to return three thirty is what Thank you're you. doing. Okay. Yes. All right. Fine. I think I, I think we landed on something there. If our bankroll in the end ends up inaccurate by a dollar, that's sue us. It's my fault. Yeah. Right. Okay. Um, I have a boxing bet. Uh, it's not for this weekend. Rather, it's for next Tuesday. I will be starting my day by watching some early AM boxing live from Japan. Uh, great fight here. Uh, Bantamweight champ Naoya Inoue moving up one division, taking on Philly's own Stephen Fulton, both undefeated. Inoue, arguably the number one pound-for-pound fighter in the world. I think an upset is possible, but I don't quite see value there betting on Fulton. Where I see value is on Inoue by decision. He is an exceptional puncher, but I think it's more likely that Fulton takes him the distance than that he knocks Fulton out. A lot like the Martin Hartunian fight last week. They're they're overrating the KO and underrating the decision. In a way, by decision is as high as plus 240 on FanDuel. So let's bet $50 on that to win 120. If this guy's the best pound-for-pound fighter in the world, what the hell is he doing fighting on a Tuesday? <laughs> well... Different, different, uh, different approaches in Japan, and, okay. and you can be the best without being the biggest star. And he's sure. not even necessarily the best. It's kind of a, uh, we're going further down a boxing rabbit hole than you probably wanted to. But next week, the weekend after this is that big Spence Crawford fight, and basically on a lot of people's pound for pound lists right now, it's either Inouye or Crawford at one, Spence at three, four, five, somewhere in that range. So by the end of next week, we. There's a good chance we'll be able to definitively say who's boxing's pound for pound number one. 
All right. I, I have a uh, WNBA bet uh, for you. I think it's okay. a misprice. Uh, Courtney Williams of the Chicago Sky, over five and a half assists. She's done it in her last five games, eight out of her last ten games. It uh, looks good to me. Uh, mm-hmm. It's a minus 115, 115 to win 100. Okay. Then uh, I, I feel like you're itching to go two units there when you call it yeah. a misprice. Yeah, the next one, I think I might have to go two units. Oh, okay, all right. So we'll stick with one <laughs> unit here. Okay, all right, all right. Um, so uh, for my last bet, I, I wrote on our outline uh, that I sent Wednesday, some Thursday MLB bet TBD. Uh, I really haven't been able to find one that I love. I'm tempted to just not bet to teach a valuable lesson about, you know, sometimes it's okay to not bet if you don't see value. I've been value. trying not to bet for six months since football ended. You won't let me. You're betting. <laughs> I know, I know. I, and look, in the end, our two favorite words. Why not? Th- yeah, those yeah. words win out. So I, yeah. I will bet. I will bet. But I'm going to make it small. Um, this is uh, an early game. Could be over by the time people listen to this uh, podcast. So I'm, I'm making this, uh, you know, this is this is non-actionable advice for most listeners. But, but maybe that's a good thing. Uh, the Diamondbacks seem a little too big of a money line underdog against the Braves. It's Gallon versus uh, Strider, who you know uh, included in your uh, parlay there. Great pitching matchup between the two NL Cy Young favorites. Atlanta's at home. They're rightfully favored, but we can get up to plus 170 on Arizona, so why not? Why not? Um, but uh, but just 50 bucks to win 85 on this one. There, there's your list, your lesson. Give in to the urge to bet, but sometimes bet just half a unit. Yeah, okay, good. Uh, let's see what lessons we learn with this next bet. <laughs> I, I don't think any good lessons. All right. Jordan, Canada, Los Angeles Sparks. All right. Jordan, Und- Canada. That's the name. That's her name. That's yeah, her name. Cool name. It's a cool name. Yeah. Uh, her her three point prop bet under one and a half. Un- this is an under. So, you know, you know oh, that boy. I really like it. Oh, oh boy. <laughs> under one and a half. It's minus 128. All right. In her last 15 games, she's gone over the number four times. Each time was with two. Okay, so it's not like she's firing away. All right. In fact, over the last seven games, she's attempted only 12 three pointers. Hmm. She's attempting practically the line. Right. Of made ones. Yeah. All right. We're going to go two units, but 256 (laughs) to win 200. I like it. Uh, Boy, I uh, you know, there was another time that you did a. WNBA prop that sounded fantastic, and I just like couldn't find it on any of. Fanduel is where you find them. Is this okay? Because yeah, I, I, I had checked a bunch, and they didn't seem to have any player props up at the time that I was checking. Maybe they had popped up later in the day or whatever. But uh, both of these sound uh, sound pretty. I've been tempting. doing. I, I I bet them both, like uh, yeah. IRL. Uh, but like, yeah, I think I've been doing pretty well with WNBA player props over on Fanduel. I think it's just it's soft. You know, it's right. you know not a lot of people are paying attention to it. Do I do I ruin it uh, by parlaying Jordan Canada you under can't. and Courtney Williams over? They won't, they won't they let won't, it. They won't let you parlay. Oh uh, well. All right. So two uh, two individual bets, one for one unit, one for two units. All right. Let's do it. Yep, let's do it. All right, and that'll do it for this episode of Gamble On. Thanks, everybody out there for listening, and thanks again to this week's guest, Rob Coakley. You can find me on Twitter at Eric Raskin and Jeff at Jeff Edelstein, and follow US Bets at US underscore bets. Go to usbets.com for all the latest news and analysis from the world of gambling, and subscribe to this podcast on Megaphone, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or anywhere else. And with that, Jeff, please take us out. All right, Variety is calling it the biggest box office weekend in ages. Barbie and Oppenheimer hit theaters, I think they're out today, and along with the latest Mission Impossible, it feels like movies are back and in a big way. I don't know about you, Eric. I really legitimately love going to the movies. I love buying the $10 bucket of popcorn with enough salt to keep me thirsty for days. I love, I mean, actually, I demand, and this really is annoying to people who go to the movies with me, I demand to get there early, not just for the trailers, but also for the Maria Manuas AMC first look garbage. I need it all. I want want all of it. We have have nothing in common when it comes to what we like in a movie watching experience. Love but it. continue. I love it. I, and honestly, I think when we look back at this time in our lives, like 20 years ago, you know, 20 years on from here, I think this weekend, I'm not even being joking here. I think this weekend marks, well, you know, at least hopefully marks the end of the COVID era, right? Hmm, Which okay. to me feels like happened a million years ago. I mean, th- you know, I, we're, we're back in the movie theaters in a big, big way. You know, I think, and this is, this is the, this is, this may be the demarcation point, right? Um, now, now, granted, I'm probably not going to go. To the, I'm not probably not going to go to see either one this weekend because 
I don't care for the crowds. Right. You know, right. so I'll wait. I'll wait a few but, weeks. Finally, but, something we can agree on about yeah, yeah, the movie yeah, going I don't, experience. I don't, not, I don't need to fight my way there. But I'm definitely planning on seeing both flicks on the big screen. Damn the cost, you know, onward and upward. And not for nothing, since this is, of course, a podcast concerning gambling, Oppenheimer is now the favorite for Best Picture at DraftKings at mm. plus 250. I wouldn't recommend betting it. I mean, I might win, but plus, that's too short this time. You can't bet it. So, all right, that's it. That's all I got to say about this. I think movies are back. COVID is over. I think this is it. I think this marks the end of COVID. That's all I'm saying. And also, much like J. Robert Oppenheimer probably said the first time he tested the atomic bomb, (laughs) gamble on. Gamble on.